sir. Uh, Do you like know. Gene Shepard? No, thank you. No, no. Care to give me an opinion on Gene Shepard? Pardon me? Did you care to give me your opinion of Gene Shepard? Gene Shepard. Oh, you mean the man that uh, went in space and then he went to the moon, you mean? Care to give me your opinion of Gene Shepard? Don't know her. What do I think of Gene Shepard? Who is Gene Shepard? I'm from Arizona. Gene Shepard? Who is he? Would you mind giving me your opinion of Gene Shepard? No comment. I don't even know who he is. How do you fellas feel about Gene Shepard? Not bad. Hi, would you mind giving me your opinion of Gene Shepard? Don't get near me. Do you like Gene Shepard? The Lord is my shepherd. Excuse me. Do you have something to say about Gene Shepard? Uh, the guy, uh, the, uh, one of the guys that's, uh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta pay me off. I need a drink. Nothing like a seven-hour-old takeout container of chocolate nuts coffee. Da 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 la da 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 It's now request time. We have a request for the dirty story that involves a bow-legged dachshund, a defrocked Franciscan monk, and a Third Avenue bartender. Uh, we will send that to you in plain sealed wrapper for those of you who over 21 and can prove that you are a qualified, bona fide art student. Send your name and address on brown wrapper and we'll make sure that it gets to you. Uh, we will award a brass figligy with bronze oak leaf palm if any of you can tell me where the preceding excerpt was removed. Sickening scene. It's terrible the way things are working out. I mean, tell, you know what you do? You sit in your rented rowboat and you figure one day... By God, if you row hard enough, you're going to finally reach the far shore. The far shore. The far shore. I said the far shore. Right. I repeat, I said the far shore. <laughs> Bring it up large, Marty. There you go. Now for the benefit of those who are in the outlying precincts whose uh, election returns have not yet been reported, we would like to play for you a brief excerpt from the Hammond High fight song, which uh, has spurred a notably unsuccessful football team to even further and greater disasters year after year after year. Yeah. 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 All right. That's enough. That's enough. I want to get them uh, used to entertainment because, by God, if they get used to entertainment, no telling what they might be asking for next. It's terrible. Slap in the mouth. Hey, uh, speaking of a slap in the mouth, I think we be- we were so loaded with things here tonight, we better get right with them here. Yeah, I have a commercial that uh, starts out, and I don't quite know how to say this. It's, it's in parentheses. It says, written in Gene Shepard's style. I'll read a commercial that was written in Gene Shepard's style. It says, you are what you eat. It sounds like what I'd say, right? It says, I don't know who said that first, but I won't go into its philosophical ramifications. And we're here tonight to tell you that uh, give up all those, uh, you know, give up all those uh, bad things you've been eating and uh, go straight. Give up all those steaks and all those uh, groovy baked Alaskas and all that jazz. Take up Kasha. Kasha, I'll never forget her. God, she was something else again. I'll never forget her. The first time I saw her, it was under a street lamp in East Chicago, Indiana. And uh, 
It's late at night. Oh, no, that's messing up. That was Natalie Kasha. We're talking here about Wolf's Kasha with two Fs, which is made, uh, according to this uh, sales pitch here, is made from um, golden brown buckwheat groats. Now, we looked up groats the other night. I had never had a groat of any type, and we looked up groat. Uh, that is unless it is the thing that cigarette does to you. It stunts your growth, right? Right. Uh, <laughs> we did look up groats, though. The, the growth that they're referring to is a small gilled fish which grows in brackish water. It's found in great profusion in the Croton Reservoir. Reservoir is the way it's pronounced. Ra, reservoir. It's not reservoir. I mean, that's the way Hugh Downs would pronounce it. We're trying to be literate here. But if you'd like to try these golden brown buckwheat groats, Wolf's Kasha. And according to this note here, it says it's a lot of great stuff. A lot of people are eating it now as a gourmet food. But Kasha is really a health food, packed with vitamins and protein. And it's not fattening either, unless you eat maybe six, 700 pounds of it a day. And some do. When it's properly prepared, you just can hardly help it. So it's Wolf's Kasha. It says uh, it's been a staple in Eastern Europe for centuries. And as the copy says, we all know how well Eastern Europe has done. It's the world's oldest unknown health food, Wolf's Kasha, with two Fs. A lady out at Hempstead, when I was in a book signing there, came rushing up. You know, you run into some embarrassing things in book signings. And there I am trying to look like an author, you know, and, and making a profound statement, a real, uh, uh, real Jewish mother type. She said, eat now. And I said, well, wait a minute, I can't eat kasha while I'm signing books. And she says, I knew you were a phony, and stomped out. Now, how do you feel that one? Of course, uh, <laughs> another lady wrote me a long letter and says, how come, how come you sent a stand-in out here to Hempstead? That couldn't have been you that was out there signing books. So how do you handle that? Of course, you know, the, no, the dream world is a terrible world. It's, it's, a, it's a sickening world, and, and many of us find ourselves in that uh, dream world, and uh, we can't get out of it. It's like, uh, you know, uh, really, it's, it's like uh, people... Yeah, I think this is part of the nostalgia craze, really. It is, you know, people sit like toads in front of their TV set late at night and uh, immerse themselves in the world of Spencer Tracy circa 1935. And they're always hoping that one day they're going to meet Priscilla Lane in the 23rd Street Station. Well, yeah, yeah, it's a sad scene, you know. But, uh, yeah, it, it really is. Uh, personally, I, I only watched the late, late TV show hoping that the Preparation H man will show up, which he does once in a while, every third or fourth night, about 4 o'clock in the morning. And he comes on and tells me it, it you know, is guaranteed medically to relieve itching. And I think about that. I think, you know, is it the big itch that we're talking about, the, the one that we all suffer from, you know, the itch that hits us every time we go into Howard Johnson and we say to ourselves, my God, life must be more than just... Howard Johnson, there's got to be more to it than that. Uh, Marty, would you please give me a little uh, stirring band music, please? A little stirring band music. Let's go here, let's go. All together now, it's march time. Let's go. Pick up your feet and let's move. Good evening, sports fans everywhere. Spike McBullet here tonight, reporting with sports news everywhere, from here and there, around the sports scene. Remember, sport fans, it's not how you play the game, it's whether you win or not. And now, tonight, All-Star Sports Final, edited by Rune Arledge, produced by Howard Cosell, and starring me, Spike McBullet, 
salutes tonight's Sports Hero of the Week. And now we take time out now to salute that lowly, humble person that all of us count on when we go to our favorite sporting events. Tonight we quote from the university paper of Penn State University, the Penn State Daily Collegian, a salute by Jay Finnegan to a great unsung sports hero. Sport fans, let us tonight salute Tom Stearns. Tom Stearns, we repeat. When Tom Stearns first enlisted as a Beaver Stadium hot dog salesman, he was treated like any other recruit, mauled, laughed at, and at times cursed. But gradually, his uncanny abilities became apparent. And today he stands alone at the top of the doggy world with a brilliant future in any stadium in the country. And there are those who say that he is now ready for the Olympics and possibly even the pros, maybe making it all the way to Shea Stadium. Tom carries himself with a shuffling, shambling gait and can be easily identified in the stands by his black Stetson, his paint-spotted jeans, and his six-foot-three-inch lissom height. But his most distinguishing feature, and that which has brought him fame in the hot dog vendor's world, is his remarkable ability to pick out receivers at extraordinary distances and then to pass hot dogs accurately and crisply to the receivers, often with a perfect spiral and sometimes against the most challenging defensive secondaries. Stearns has never lost a game at Penn State. A sophomore, he turned doggy man for the first time last autumn in the West Virginia game sold hot dogs successfully through the Ohio University and Pitt games, and this season has played extremely well against hostile crowds from Army, Air Force, and Texas Christian. His colleagues in the Coke and hot dog crowds regard him with esteem and awe and privately concur that now he is destined for the top ranks of the professional hot dog vendors. The path to greatness has not been easy for Tom Stearns. He is rightly proud of his success. He sold lemonade as a kid with little profit, and yet he was looking for the experience to advance himself in the trade. He sold penny candy during recess in grade school and frequently had handfuls stolen by the 8th graders. It was not until his junior year at and Prep where he sold hot dogs at football and basketball games that he was observed by a scout, an expert, and tagged a comer. And now, just three years later, he is being closely watched by scouts from the Orange, the Sugar, and the Cotton Bowl committees. His statistics are impressive. Against West Virginia last year, he passed for 10 completions and 15 attempts. But he worked out with friends in resort hot dog stands over the summer, invented the forward dog, and against Texas Christian's unsuspecting defense, completed 19 of 22. His most thrilling performance, he says, came in last year's pit game. He was selling dogs in the junior WJ section when suddenly he spotted a customer in N.A., a section two sections removed. I noticed that my deep receiver was open, Stern said after lunch last week fondly recalling the historic moment. He was waving his arms on the far side of N.A., yelling, A dog! I want a dog now! I'm open! The defense had been giving me trouble all day, and on this play, they blitzed. As I dropped back to pass, a couple of juniors went for my dog case. Their dates went for my change bag. I was in trouble. I remember, I remember pump faking with the ketchup, handing off the mustard, and I began to scramble around looking to see if my man was still open. He was. I nailed him going away. It was a beautiful completion. I led him nicely. In his five games so far, Stearns has passed for 80 of 93. And it appears obvious, barring physical injury, that he will repeat to the all-East doggy vendor man team. There is word from New York and Philadelphia sports writers that he may run strong in the All-American voting. 
and Penn State Sports Information Department has it confidentially that he is contending for the Oscar Meyer Trophy, which is the leading trophy among vendors in the world. If there is a better hot dog salesman anywhere in the country, said a writer from Sports Illustrated, I personally have not seen him. Stern's most unique pass came in the third quarter of the Air Force game. He was peddling dogs in lower EH, a senior section, when he heard a distant cry from the upper level, a guy signaling for Stearns to heave one up all the way. I bored back to throw, he said. Just as I released the dog, I noticed that the little clip that keeps the styrofoam container closed had come loose. Too late, though, I let fly with all my might, and ten yards later the container fell off, and then the dog, naked, fell, and it was just the dog going up into the stands, looking as lonely as hell, as I put it, and now it was much too late and I had too much power on it. It sailed right over the top of the stadium, and I lost the dog into the parking lot. Such adventures as these have endeared Stearns to his fans, his colorful deportment in the stands, particularly late in the game, after he has been drinking hard, brightens many faces, and his his resourcefulness makes Saturday afternoons profitable. Before the season began, he brought back 60 pints of various types of liquors. He's been scalping them for 450 a bottle before the game. And when he's ready to go, he's ready to go. Yes, we would like tonight, like all true greats, Stearns remains alone. He remains solitary, working at his trade, studying and watching how the pros do it. And the scouts have come away from a meeting with him with a sense of having already been honored. There are handsome contracts awaiting his signature when he leaves universities, awaiting his signature. Naturally, there's great pressure on him to stay in the great state of Pennsylvania, But Stern says that he would like to sell hot dogs and sauerkraut at the Munich Olympics next summer. He is on his way to the big time. And, of course, at that point, he's going to move into the really big leagues. Perhaps Shea, perhaps Yankees. Perhaps he might even pass a dog or two at the great stadium of all, the World Series itself. So tonight's... Our sports hero of the week, Tom Stearns. We'd like to salute Tom again, that lonely, solitary figure making change with one hand, buttering a dog with the other, and against the ridicule of all his friends, proceeding onward and onward to a great professional career. Tonight's sports hero salute was produced by Roan Arledge. Associate producer was Howard Cosell. Tonight's program has been dedicated to Muhammad Ali. This is the Blue Network. Yeah, why do I put that jazz on my show? This is WOR New York. That's all right, Jerry. You're worried about station breaks right now. WOR New York? Let's see. We got a couple of dinghies here. That's kind of a silly thing, wasn't it? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Absolutely not, no. I think the time has come in this age of the little man to uh, to appreciate uh, the you know the great performers. You know, I, I, did I ever tell you the story of Buttered All Over Ernie? You ever hear of him? You mean none of you have... I cannot believe it. Buttered All Over Ernie is the greatest vendor who ever performed in the major leagues. And as a matter of fact, Buttered All Over Ernie is a legend, as much a legend uh, in the vendor world as, say, uh, somebody like, uh, you know, some ball players are great, but they're not legends. Only a few ball players become legends. 
A, a typical legend, for example, is uh, Satchel Paige, who was never as great a ball player as his legend. His legend was, you know, legend. Uh, other legendary players. Eddie Stanky, a legend. Not a great ball player. A legend. Another great... Cy Young. People don't even know there was a Cy Young. They think there's just an award named Cy Young, like Oscar. You know, but he's a legend. And uh, <laughs> buttered all over Ernie was truly a legend. And uh, I can remember, uh, before we get on with the story of Buttered All Over Ernie, for those of you who are interested in legends, we have here a legend. Uh, we'd like to tell you about that little bird. We got that bird tonight. And don't call us up and ask us where to send, please. Every night after we do this spot, 15 yucks with potatoes in their ears. Where to tell us, uh, what was the, uh, the, 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 the address uh, to write for them birds, huh? The birds. Listen, get it this time, or forever hold your peace. Now, here it is. These are birds that fly, and they really do. You wind them up. They're not operated by batteries. They're operated by rubber bands, and they're copies. They're, they're, they're an ornithopter. Now, what is an ornithopter? Well, an ornithopter sounds like another one of those health foods, but actually the ornithopter is a device, a machine that flies the way a bird flies, by flapping its wings. And... Uh, <laughs> This is from France. It was uh, invented by a Frenchman. Spent three years doing it. I don't know how he supported himself while he's inventing a celluloid bird that flies by flapping its wings, but it mustn't have been easy. And uh, for just three ninety-eight, you can have one of these wild things. It's a copy of uh, of the drawings of Leonardo da Vinci, who drew the first ornithopter pictures. Incidentally, it would make a great thing just to hang from the ceiling of your room. It really looks beautiful. It's a beautiful little bird. Sixteen inches. No, it is. It really is. It's yellow and orange and brown, and it's like a bird. It's got an evil eye to it. It's named Tim, the flying bird. You wind it up, and she'll fly 600 feet at about 40 feet in the air. And if you fly it over in Jersey at the wrong time of the year, four guys with 12-gauge shotguns are able to blast him out of the sky. This is the flying bird. So if you'd like to order one, they're 398 Send check or money order to, and listen, write it down, Flying Birds. That's flying. You know how to spell flying. I know how to spell flying. Flying Birds. B-U-R-D-S. Flying Birds. Department S. Department S is in SAP. Right? Department S is in Schlemiel. Flying Birds. Department S. P.O. Box 1509. Oh, excuse me. P.O. Box 1909. Now, here they're going to go. P.O. Box 1909. Grand Central Station, New York, New York. What do you think it was, New Jersey? New York, New York, 10017. 398, check or money order to that address. And you'll be inundated with birds. All right. One, two, three, four. There's a promise for America. Quack, 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 quack. A bright new promise just for you. Quack, 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 quack. Chrysler Plymouth. <laughs> Coming through. Yeah, man, you're singing it good. You have made us first place dealers throughout all the USA. Because in Chrysler Plymouth sales, we lead the way. 
With our guys, you'll be a winner, number one in every way. That's the kind of dealer America wants today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chrysler Plymouth, coming through. For a number one buy, see America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York, New Jersey, and Fairfield County. Yeah, uh, let's see. Hey, we have a little... Uh, here's a little promo here. Boy, we have more jazz here tonight. Got a little promo here tonight. It says, in an attempt to help New Yorkers, those who live, visit, or work here, know more about the city, WR is going to have a series of programs this Tuesday, November 23rd, exploring the real New York. And uh, November 23rd, exploring real New York. And we're going to go from uh, Riverdale to Richmond, from Bayside to Harlem. That's November 23rd. I think I'll do some Harlem jazz that night. Would you like that? Good stuff? Lay it on you, Dad. Hey, you know, while we're on the subject of dates, one more note, and then we'll leave you alone forever. You can uh, you can uh, cash in your chips. Uh, another date here, Saturday the 27th. And it's now official. The 27th. Get your Jews harps, your kazoos ready. Important announcement time from 2 to 5, Saturday, November 27th. Me, King Kong, will be per in person at the Woodbridge Center where Routes 1 and 9 meet like Tristan and Isolde. Yes, sir, like John and Yoko, where Routes 1 and 9 meet in Woodbridge, New Jersey, thence spawning the Woodbridge Center. <laughs> That's kind of poetic. I'm going to be there from 2 to 5, and it's going to be Saturday, November 27th, and if you're planning to get a copy of Wanda for Christmas or somebody, and you'd like to get it signed. We're going to be on hand to do all the signing. Get it all out of there. Let it all hang out with the Jews, Harps, and everything. Got it? Okay. Now, you know, I'm going to ask you a question. We've done all of them. Well, we'll do that later. Jerry, come on. Let me handle it, will you? You're getting worse than Lee, for crying out loud. He keeps thinking I didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. You're like the catcher who really believes he's pitching the game. <laughs> All right, let me let me go here for a while. All right, now uh, I'd like to ask you a question here, if you don't mind. You know, somebody wrote in, and uh, they were talking about uh, trivia. You know, I, I'm not a trivia fan. No, I'm not. No, I, the trouble with me, uh, you know, this all started a few years back. The whole object of trivia came out of this show. We got talking about it on Saturday morning, and I was afraid. Yeah, it came out. I was sitting there thinking, doing my show, and it suddenly hit me that my mind was filled with trivia, which I hated. I hated the idea that I, I, I you know, I remembered stuff like, uh, like uh, the color of the Captain Marvel secret decoder pin. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. And who, who sponsored Jimmy Allen's Air Aces? I, I, I remembered this stuff, but I didn't remember anything else. I did not even remember what year the Battle of 1812 took place in. Some people are important. They don't remember any of this stuff. You don't think for a minute, do you, that uh, that uh, President Nixon can tell you what was the name of uh, of uh, the Lone Ranger's nephew's horse? Of course not. But he can tell you the total amount of tin that was sold to Yugoslavia in 1814 by Belgium. And uh, you know that's important. Uh, important people. That's uh, we start out early that way. Now, you think you know anything about trivia? Look, I'm going to give you some trivia out there. 
You know, has, have you noticed that almost all trivia has to do with television or other radio and movies? No, radio, not very few books. No, television. Now let me let me let me hold, carry the show. Almost all trivia discussions revolve around radio or tele or, or, or movies. Sure, they do. Very few trivia questions have to do with television, and that's where trivia really <laughs> reaches a, a maniacal peak. <laughs> have you ever thought that television itself is trivia? But uh, uh, question here now. I'll ask you a question about. TV trivia. Who preceded Walter Cronkite on the newscast that he does on TV? Now, who does? Now, now, now you think, here, here was a guy, coast to coast, nationwide. Who was on the, the, the uh, TV news at that point, on, on that network, prior to Walter Cronkite? There you go. See how fame is? You don't know. And yet you can tell me the name of uh, the Lone Ranger's nephew's horse. <laughs> all right. I'll ask another question to you. You all talk about the Lone Ranger? Everybody's talking about the Lone Ranger all the time when they talk about trivia. Well, I'll ask you a question. The Lone Ranger was produced by whom? They always said it at the end of the show. That is correct. Very good. What was the first name? And where did the Lone Ranger originate? In other words, where, where, what city did it come from? And what specific, no, you were wrong, what specific radio station? They used to even, no, 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 no. I'll give you one clue so that you don't all start calling up. It was not New York, it was not WOR, okay? <laughs> what radio station? They used to give a name credit at the end of the show. To the specific radio station. Who was it? I'll let you worry about that for a while. See, I, I, once in a while, I like to just pull out the big time, you know, show you who's, who's boss in this, this garbage league. And don't think for a minute Shepard's nostalgic. He, the first thing he's going to say is they were rotten shows. <laughs> oh, yeah, bad. Oh, come on. Come on. I, I, you agree with me, don't you, George? Yeah. That's right. Yeah, me, Tonto. Right. Ah, see, somebody called you wrong again. It was not. It was not produced by Rune Arledge. That's a clue. Robert Trout? No. Was that Robert Trout calling? No, it was not Robert Trout who preceded, uh, who preceded Walter Cronkite on the news. That was just a wild guess. Somebody just called in and guessed. No, it was not Robert Trout. Although Robert Trout did do some news on television. Who was it? And I never can understand why he's not more on TV. He's, you know, he's this elegant. Uh, no, he's he's a very elegant. Uh, he looks a little like uh, like a, a movie star or something. Trout, you ever seen him? And uh, he's got this elegant, uh, this this implied wit in everything he does, and yet uh, he, he rarely appears on TV. I'm talking about Robert Trout, but Trout was not the one who was on this show. No, you are wrong. He is wrong. Another clue. It was not WJR. <laughs> People are striking out badly tonight. <laughs> now, I don't want to start this. I just wanted to ask you, I just wanted to show you that, that, uh, that there's more to this, uh, this garbage game than you'd ever suspect. Who is, who is uh, 
Who is the announcer? I'll give you a question. Who is the announcer on the news that we are talking about that preceded Cronkite? It was a big newscast all across the country. Seven o'clock at night on TV. And who was the announcer and who was the product that he, that was sponsored them? There was a sp- and they did all of them live, the commercials. Yeah, see, that's, that's what I mean. People, people remember ancient radio shows, but they can't remember last year's television shows. Shows you the difference between the medium. Uh, no, it does. It does. I wonder, I wonder how many people know who preceded Jack Parr on The Tonight Show. Clue. I'll give you a clue. It was not Jerry Lester. <laughs> no, a lot of people don't know all these uh, things. Uh, who, who preceded him? It was not Steve Allen either. Well, see, now, now there we are. We're right in the middle of it all. I, I, I don't know why I brought all this stuff up, except that, except that uh, somebody. Uh, and and I, it surprises me that hardly any of you know who uh, buttered all over Ernie is. Well, all right, I'll tell you, buttered all over Ernie. Uh, I, he, he, he affected probably the entire Midwest at one point. He, he affected uh, the states of Illinois, Indiana, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, hundreds and hundreds of stations. Oh, that guy's he's just, he's just, he's just faking it. Don't, don't hold up those, don't bother me with fakes. Uh, he, Roger Mudd, Roger Mudd is on now, you idiot. Kind of a fool are you? Uh, they, they, we got a lot of fakes out there tonight. I don't. I, don't, I, I can't countenance fakes. I am like H.L. Uh, Mencken. I cannot. Con- I cannot countenance the bourgeoisie. If you don't know anything about your own world, then you don't. Uh, what was the name of the Indian on uh, on Howdy Doody? <laughs> you guys are. are uh, now you're getting close. Somebody knew. But uh, I, I'm, this is this is dull, and I don't want to get into this. But I will say this: that uh, that we have great gaps in our memory. And you know that uh, that there's a guy up at Columbia who's working on some very interesting work, a psychologist up there who's working on the effect that media, and I'm talking about various media in this case, radio, television, films, tape recorder, uh, whatever it might be, what effect these various different types of communication devices, what they have on our, what effect they have on our sense of time. It plays hob with people's sense of time. First of all, almost everybody who listens to me believes he was listening to me personally far longer than it's actually true. Radio does that to people. Radio. Radio makes people think it's been going forever. You know, whoever's on uh, television has almost the opposite effect, that people watching TV may be deeply involved in the show, but curiously enough, it has an inbuilt eraser effect. And they can hardly remember last week's big deal. It, it takes it, You really have to drag it out of them, and they can v- barely remember something that they were deeply involved with a year or two or three years ago on television. They never missed it. And all of a sudden, it's gone, and six minutes later, they don't even remember having seen it. <laughs> now, that's very interesting. 
you may take that lightly, but it really makes a big difference because, you know, uh, this even can affect us politically. That a guy can come on and say something on television, you know, a politician, and say it, and it's on TV. And so six months later, he can come on and say something totally the opposite, and you don't remember what he said the first time. In other words, if he continues to appear on television, that eraser effect will always work. And the guy can reverse his field endlessly. Whereas somehow on the radio, it's not quite so. In fact, I'll get letters from people, and they'll, they'll write me a note, see, and they'll, they'll take great issue that I, let's say last night, said something that contradicted something I might have said four years ago. <laughs> so uh, the, 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 uh, the impact of the oral medium, ultimately, oral meaning the ear, the impact of that medium, A-U-R-A-L, is apparently far greater, and this is only a supposition by psychologists, than that which is visual, contrary to the beliefs that were held briefly by the Martian McLuhanites. Strange. It's like music. People will remember music forever. Music is an oral thing. So somebody will remember a tune he heard. He'll remember it like 50 years. 50 years later, he'll start whistling a tune he heard when he was a kid, you know? But it's very hard for you to remember something you saw, really. So it's, it's, a, it's a, you know, difficult scene. Now, Buttered All Over Ernie was, was an example of that. Give me a slight echo chamber, and I will give you my impression of Buttered All Over Ernie doing his thing. Buttered All Over. Buttered All Over. Well, that sound used to come echoing out on long, hot afternoons. Yeah. Buttered All Over Ernie. And the... But it all over Ernie, just because of that sound, became a, a genuine hero and a legend throughout the entire Midwest. And people would come, say, maybe three or four hundred miles to, to, to watch Buttered All Over Ernie work and to patronize him. Yes, that's right. Buttered All Over Ernie. Well, what does it sound like he sold? Well, what do you buy that's buttered all over? Well, it's obvious, popcorn. Come on, what's the matter with you guys tonight? Hey, you're, you're sitting there you know, like a bunch of popsicles. You know, <sighs> What do you think of when you hear buttered all over and a vendor is selling it? What do you think it's going to be? Flapjacks or something? Bread? He's selling bread in the stands. Well, I can see why humor is a difficult thing to sell you, Marty. However, when, when, a, when, a, when a vendor is working, he's selling his thing. And Butted All Over Ernie had a tremendous knowledge of projection, acoustics, and dramatic timing. And Butted All Over Ernie worked in the area on third base, back of third base, right in the promenade, the second deck of the, of the great cavern which uh, dominated the south side of Chicago at one time called Comiskey Park, now known as White Sox Park. Well, back in those days... It would be great, you know, a great doubleheader if they had maybe 1,200 people in the stands, see? So Ernie, Ernie used that. And, uh, you know, when, he, when, a, when a vendor is yelling and he's doing his thing with 56,000 people out there, you hardly hear them, right? Well, butted all over Ernie, always worked back at third base, see? And he always, he'd move back of the wall all the time. And, and the announcer, 
Who was the announcer who did the White Sox games in those days? A classic announcer, speaking of trivia. Oh, yes. A great one. Of, uh, he's, he's a legend among baseball announcers because of the, the cool technique that he has. And the great... Uh, he's got a curious uh, uh, rapport with the audience, but he's very cool. He's, he's the, almost the epitome of the cool announcer. He's, he's, he, let's put it this way. He's the reciprocal of Howard Cosell. You know, every, everything Howard Cosell says, like it's raining or it's Tuesday, sounds like a great pronouncement coming down from some far-off Olympus. Don Gifford? He says things like, uh, 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 Frank Gifford, has it occurred to you that it is Friday afternoon? Yes, I have considered it deeply, and it is now precipitating. It is now raining. And he says, thank you, Howard Cosell. Back and forth they go. Well, uh, this guy's quite the opposite. A typical exciting play, and no echo chamber on this, a typical exciting play when this announcer would be working, he would say, there's the swing, and it's a long fly out to left field. He's going back, back, back. He's out. Real cool. You know, you can just see the whole scene, and you hear the crowd say, and, uh, uh, throughout the echoing, the, throughout the echoing Midwest of the great doldrum days of the White Sox, uh, about all you ever heard Bob Elson say was, "There's a swing and a miss. He's out. <laughs> He's out." Well, then buttered all over Ernie would time his pitches, and you'd hear Elson say, "There's a pop fly. Second baseman's going back. He's out." Buttered all over, buttered all over. Well, that brings up Lou Kapling now. He scores Washington Senators 17, Chicago White Sox 1, going into the last of the eighth inning. There's a windup on the pitch, and it's a long foul ball down the right field line and into the upper deck. Buttered all over, buttered all over. Don't worry, Jerry, for God's sakes. <laughs> You're getting like an old lady in there, Jerry. I know. <laughs> Let's do it. Jerry's all nervous. Let's do the uh, commercial here for him. He's having a bad night here. We'll do the Le Champ commercial for you. They got this restaurant down there. And when you think of Thanksgiving Day, we'd like to suggest that you think of Le Champ. It's in Midtown Manhattan. And there at, uh, they have free valet parking. You can park your valet there, and it's free. For reservations, call LE26566. Okay, Jerry, lay shop for Thanksgiving. And if you want to know where it is, it's at 25 East 40th Street between Park and Madison. It's a good restaurant. Okay. <laughs> Poor Jerry. <laughs> That's all right. He killed the story, but it's okay. We'll give him this night. This is Jerry's night. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I, I'm sorry that none of you knew who was the newscaster who preceded Walter Cronkite. One clue I will give you. It was not John Cameron Swayze. That's right. John Cameron Swayze and the news. Good night. Yeah, I always enjoyed him. Uh, I, I, uh, I'll ask you another question. Uh, what, uh, what, uh, <laughs> what singer, for example, what's the only jazz man who ever had his own television show? And he was a brief hero. I mean, he was a brief thing. Everybody watched him. I'll give you a clue. He played the guitar. 
had his own TV show, and it was in the top-rated ten for a while. He had a variety show. I'll give you another clue. His first name is and was Bobby. Played the guitar. Now, that's TV trivia. Who was that? Guitarist. And uh, he's quite a well-respected one. He also wrote a lot of arrangements. He was an arranger. Did a lot of good arrangements. All right, see, you flubbed the dub again. Oh, I, my, my head is filled with stuff like that. Now you're really thinking, aren't you, George? Who was the guitar? I'm not going to tell you. Everybody's going to be, why, why don't you tell us? Well, uh, look, you think I'm going to give away all my secrets? Oh, forget it. Forget it, Bill. Bring it up. Bring it up large. All right. On what radio station in New York City did Ernie Kovacs have a morning, early morning show? Radio. Early morning. And I'll give you a further clue. It had live music on it. Who was the piano man on that show? <laughs> All right, see? You think you're pretty smart, don't you, out there? You learned that, that when the heavy artillery comes up, that little daisy air rifle you got just ain't in it, right? All right, bring it up, Martin. 